Hello and welcome. <laughs> you are ringside. You have made it to the ringside battle, the Boomtown battle between Goose, which is me, and my number one compadre, Gabby. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly win the battle every time, so. Absolutely, absolutely. Ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. All right. In today's, <laughs> in today's match, Gabby, what, uh, what, what are we talking about? What did we talk about? What is going on? Well, Pizza. we're continuing. We're about carbs. We did talk about carbs. But we're continuing the Hunting Hotspot series. We're up to number five, which is Boomtown Syndrome. Mm. So we kind of talked about what Boomtowns are, how they happen, what to look for. Um, how if you want to use that strategy, how you need to really quite do it well. It's not really something you can wing. Like if you're going to go all in and try and like time the market, you've got to do it well. You've got to time mm. your way in, which is relatively easy if you're paying attention. But it's also timing your way out, which I think is where a lot of people have trouble with this. Yeah, 100%. And you know what I think? Um, the Boomtown Syndrome or the Boomtown, the Boomtown Scenario, Boomtown Syndrome, whatever you want to call it, is something that gets a lot of flack, right, as being this really high risk kind of thing, which I agree with. It is high risk. It is high risk. I mean, it doesn't, it's not even my opinion. It's high risk. Um, but what I think was really interesting about this episode is that we kind of talked about how you can succeed at it, yep. which is, I think, something a lot of people don't really talk about. Totally. Now, just because we're not doing that doesn't mean that you can't do it well and doesn't mean that it's a bad idea. It's just that it's not within our risk profile or the risk profile of our clients. So, it is something to consider. And in this series, we, we, our goal is to unpack all the different ways um, that all the different things that drive property markets so that you can become a better investor. And this is just one thing that you need to be aware of and that you may be able to add to your arsenal. So I think it's really um, some real gold stuff in here, actually. Mm -hmm. A lot of, we talked a lot of crap as well, didn't we? But a lot of really good- That's always fun. That's always fun. It's always good. So if you want to explore all the 10 core drivers that drive property markets, then just head to theinvestorlab.com.au. Go to the free resources section. There's free resources. That's why they're called free resources because they don't cost anything and they're resourceful. Now, the, the, <laughs> the other thing that you can do is you can grab a copy of my book and do all that kind of good stuff as well. And you can reach out to us if you want our help to help you navigate the market and get you know, outsized results and performance in your property portfolio. Um, really, really pumped with the uh, results we've been getting for everyone that's been working with us so far. And if you want to get that too, then just reach out. Um, but in the meantime, head there, get some free resources. You can download this free report, which is called How to Identify Real Estate Hotspots. Uh, and it's all about the Hunting Hotspot series and all the different pieces that put it together. So go and get that there. Make sure you sign up. Yahoo. Fantastic. And the only thing that really matters to us is your ongoing happiness. And if there's any way that we can improve what we're doing to make you, the listener, more engaged, more rewarded, more successful uh, in any way, shape or form. If there's topics you want us to cover, if there's ideas you want to thrash out, or if you just want to say, I love you, then please just send us an email. Send us an email to hello at dash dot .com .au and, and, <laughs> that's a weird way of saying and, 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 and uh, it would do, it'd be a huge favor to us. It would be immensely valuable. If you could repay, if you get some value out of this, if you've enjoyed listening to this, if you can repay that just in, in a small, simple act by heading to iTunes and subscribing, that'd be sick. That'd be so sick. Because that actually helps us to reach more people and that'd be amazing. I think it's called Apple Podcasts now. Oh, what did I say? iTunes. 
I mean, I don't know. I miss iTunes. I'm not a, I'm not a fruitarian. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Apple Podcasts. Go to Apple Podcasts <laughs> and subscribe. And um, that would be amazing. That would be super beneficial. But, Gabby, should I shut up? Should we get into it? Let's get into it. All right, guys. As ever, we look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Invest Lab. Hello, hello, hello. Gabby, how hello, are you? Hello. I'm <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. What's going on? Tell us a story. Well, the story is there are some birds, as per usual, chirping outside my window and it makes me very happy. Nice. That's my story. I'm not I'm not the best storyteller. No, not, not the best storyteller, but that's okay. And we'll we'll move on from that. Lived happily ever after. <laughs> How stuff. are you today, Goose? I'm pretty good, actually. Yeah, that's unusual. <laughs> <laughs> I operate. I operate on a high on a high, high level of positivity. Yes. Well, I want to. I want to. You know, like so. For 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 a good couple of years, you and I were on the keto diet. You know, <gasps> no carb, loads of fats. Don't get me wrong. Sir, it served us very well for a period of time. Me more more so than you, I would say. You know. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, dropped tons of weight and was like, yeah, awesome. After a while, it sort of stopped, um, you know, stopped its efficacy. So we're back on the carbs, back on the carbs. And um, I've got to say, I'm, I'm into it, actually. I'm actually into it. I'm not sure I've told my family yet, actually. There you go, well, guys. There you go. We, heard we it ate a pizza. Heard it here first. We're back on the bread. <sighs> Eating the crust. You've got to eat the really good pizza, though, right? Yeah, you can only have the good carbs. But... You know, it's interesting. It's it's interesting because, and the reason I kind of bring that up is because it's actually directly related to what we're going to be talking about today. Is it? Yeah, is it? Well, what you tell Where me? What are, are we talking? Where, Where are, what are, are you, you talking about today? That? What are we talking about today? We're talking about boom towns. We are talking about boom. <laughs> I'm very confused. We are talking about boom towns. Well, you think it? Here's the thing, right? So let's we'll set the frame for the episode in a minute. But here's the thing. Boom towns in real estate are typically uh, signified by a essentially a sugar rush of activity that it, that 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 boosts up an economy and it has a bit of a crash afterwards. Not dissimilar from a high glycemic, high sugar, you know that kind of like carb spike and crash again. So what we're going to be talking about today is the boomtown effect in real estate and how that's really just the same as eating carbs and how you need to have a balanced diet if you want to be a successful investor. So we're talking about <laughs> pizza towns. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that, Gabby? Tasty, tasty What did you think of that towns. little rope in? I tied bread great. to real estate. You hooked me. I was there. I was in. All right, great. So if you're interested in knowing more about Goose's diet, stick around and we're going to be t- talking about roughage. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> all right, so all right, let's get into it. What are we talking oh, about today? Pizza. Pizza. Aside from pizza, aside from bread, aside from aside from steel cut oats, which I just gave a crack this morning for the first time in I don't know, maybe ever. They looked intense. They were pretty intense. Aside that. from steel cut oats and pizza and stuff, what are we talking about today? Look, we're going to continue with the hunting hotspot series. So we're up to boom towns or pizza towns, which you know, in the context of this series, are probably a little bit more of the risky little more risky kind of areas uh, compared to some of the other points that we talk about, right? Yeah, 100%. So let's just reframe this, like just to give everyone a, a central point of context to get around this series. What we're talking about here are the 10 core drivers that drive growth. 
We're not necessarily saying, these are the things that we go and look for and do. Mm. What we're trying to do actually is just highlight what the 10 core drivers are so that you can identify them. And then and help by identifying the different reasons that, that areas grow and in different ways and you know what causes them, what to look out for, you can be a much more astute investor. Boomtown syndrome is, um, is one of those things that um, personally I think is a little too high risk. A lot of people make a lot of money in boomtowns. You know, they, they make a lot of money in boomtowns, but just it's kind, of the same, it's kind of the same as trading small cap stocks. Do you, know, do you know what I'm talking about if I say that, Gabby? No, I don't. All right, okay. So in the, in the stock market, in the ASX, well, ASX, Australian Stock Exchange, there are large cap stocks, which are typically your bigger companies, you know, it might be your ASX 200, ASX 500 or whatever, right? They're the top, they're the sort of the top by market size, by market capitalizations. They're called large cap. So they're kind of like your capital cities, right? Bigger economies and all of that kind of stuff. And then you've got small caps, which are your smaller companies, which may also be, they're big enough to be listed on the stock exchange. So don't make, it, don't make a mistake. They're not actually that small. They're still like big companies. But the, what typifies them is that you can actually make way bigger gains but it's actually a lot more volatile because there's a lot more movement. And what you te- typically tend to see, just in the same way that when you have a, if you go out to sea in a small dinghy, right, a little, a little, a little 10 foot tinny or something like that, if you go out to sea in that and you get hit by a wave, you're going to be rocking around all over the place. You're going to be a lot more volatile. That same wave could hit a, uh, a 300 foot cruise liner and it wouldn't even move, right? And this is the difference between kind of, um, more robust and bigger economies and smaller economies and that volatility. Now, it all depends on what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to do it and what the strategy is. So it's still very relevant to talk about this kind of stuff because, you know, if you can, you know, if you can understand this kind of thing, then you can both identify when to be in a market, when not to be in a market and all how all that stuff works. Um, but it is a critical component of our overarching real estate industry. Cool. So when we talk about boom towns what do we actually mean there <laughs> yeah it's a good question so for those watching this by the way i just touched my breast a little bit but for those watching this i actually have my boom town jumper on boom so town boob. yeah my boob town boob my boob town um <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little, little side note a little segue is um i used to help uh, manage a festival in the UK, which was huge. It was huge and it was called Boomtown. And the whole premise of this festival was about this town that kind of sprung out of nowhere and produced all of this activity and excitement and delight and then disappeared. And it was, you know, it was all based around these, these kind of themes. Now, and that is not dissimilar in context from what a, what a Boomtown actually is. So Boomtowns are typically, so if we just think back, whatever it is, three minutes to when I was talking about you know, small caps, mm. Typically, what you're going to find is boom towns exist in more regional areas or, put another way, slightly smaller economies. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no, there's no hard and fast rule here because a lot of people will say Perth is a boom town. We'll kind of touch on that uh, maybe in a little bit as well. But what actually typifies the boom town syndrome as opposed to the location is the amount of activity, economic activity on a per capita basis. It's probably the easiest way to put it. So... A lot of people think boom towns are just mining towns. And yes, mining towns typically have a very strong history of being boom towns. However, boom town scenarios can also happen in uh, a small country town that that experiences a very large infrastructure uplift. Mm -hmm. Now, so to give that a little bit of context, if you take, if you build a, 
$1 billion road in Sydney, it'll have the same effect as, you know, the, the 10 foot wave hitting the cruise ship. Probably not a lot. Yeah. If you put a $1 billion road in parks, it's probably going to completely transform the whole town, right? It's going to, there's all this, going to be this, all of this stuff going on. And it's a really interesting thing when you think about that because you can, all you need to do to ha- see some signs of this, as a, this kind of um, phenomenon as opposed to the mining town kind of phenomenon which a lot of people associate with boomtown syndrome uh, is to look at, say, the inland rail network. Now, if you look at the inland rail network um, which is being built between you know, Melbourne and Brisbane and and that's a fantastic project. You'll find along that route a lot of very small towns that are going to be impacted greatly by the building of a rail through there. Now, that is a classic example of a high infrastructure project passing through small regional towns. The, the onshoot of that is that you are going to have more commerce and trade moving through those towns over a longer period of time. So there's a little bit more stability than just a mine. But does that kind of help answer the question a little bit? Yeah. So on a, on a, on a literal level, we're probably talking... Um, smaller regional, not necessarily smaller, but like regional centers yep. where big infrastructure projects are planned there and it kind of brings people in to work on the projects, but then they might not feel the need to hang around there and then they leave. So, yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's pretty much. However, this is the, the here's the point because a lot of people think regionals are by nature boom towns. Or you could misread this and mishear this and think, oh my God, there's a regional town that's having an infrastructure project. It's going to be risky, which is also not true. What we're actually looking at is single point sensitivity. Yeah. So single point sensitivity is what is going to make it unstable. Okay, just in, let's go back, back to boats. It's the same reason a catamaran versus a yacht. A catamaran is more stable on the deck than a yacht because it's got actually, you know, two, two uh, hulls. Right? And it's going to be more stable in the water. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, if you want to look at the real estate market, just because just because there's a mine expansion, that doesn't make it good or bad. It may stimulate more growth and more activity in the area for a short period of time. But unless there is economic stability in the region, then it's going to ha- it's going to ha- be more likely to go up and down. Just in the same way, going back to diet. You know, if you were to just eat some sugar, it's going to have a very high glycemic index and you'll peak and crash very quickly. However, if you mix that sugar with some healthy fats and some, you know, some, you know, high fiber, so it's actually going to give you much more balanced energy and it's going to spread that out a lot more. The same thing happens when you're looking at, uh, looking at real estate. Now, a really good example of this, I think we may have talked about this a little bit before in a previous episode, but... Um, Port Augusta in South Australia, like really classic example, right? There's, I can't even remember how many billions of dollars worth of projects happening there over a two-year period and then bam, and then pretty much nothing else, nothing else is planned. So that's a classic scenario where you've got hugely inflated yields and hugely inflated house prices, which probably don't have a lot of longevity. Hmm. So it's kind of, if you look, if you look at the surrounding economy and there's not too much diversity but a new infrastructure project is coming in, then it's likely to suffer the boomtown syndrome versus actually being a good grower. It's more going to be a carb hit. Yeah, totally. And again, it, it depends. You know, what are the long-term impacts of that specific infrastructure project? So, yeah. for example, if you were to um, add a hospital to a, to a regional centre, now, there'd be two different phases of the impact. There would be the construction, which would bring a lot of 
you know, workers in for a very specific period of time, and then there'd be the operation. And this is typically the two phases of any kind of any any one of these projects. So, for example, if we look at the Quinana precinct in Perth, which is it's got you know very large lithium uh, factories, processing plants, and stuff being built, largest in the world, fantastic. There's a massive difference between the construction phase activity and the operational phase activity, mm. and this is where you see the drop off now. You know, the and this is I think where the where a lot of people get missed. So if there is a reasonable balance of like activity that is going to stay in the town and it's and it's going to generate more commerce, trade, and activity over the longer period of time, you're going to have less. You're going to have less of a sugar crash. Yeah. But if it's a one-hit wonder, get in, get out. And for example, if it was, I'm just making stuff up here because I don't know actually whether how, how you know, but these exact numbers. But if you were to say, all right, we're going to go and build a wind farm in an area, and that wind farm might take 300 guys four years to build, and then it's only going to take two guys to operate that year round. Mm-hmm. You, there's going to be a huge difference in activity. Does that kind of make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. And so one of the big risks, one of the big risks is that particularly with the mining town scenarios, mining boom towns, is that the impact is dictated by a board of directors and shareholders and not by governments. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I can elaborate <laughs> on that. I can elaborate on that. So let's talk about some of the Queensland boom towns. So Moranbar, 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 however you want to say that, that's, that's a classic example where property prices went up, you know, hugely, right? So they went up to about $750,000 median house price with like, $1,800 a week rent. It was going off, right? And for a long time, it had, I think it had like 30%, um, 30% growth per year for about 10 years, which wow. is insane. Yeah. Totally insane. But, and, and everyone thought, oh, this is the best thing in the world. The mine is stable. It's a big coal mining area. The mine is stable. It's not going anywhere. It's like, a, you know, 50 year plan for the mine, whatever the case may be. Nothing's going to change. But then, uh, I think it was BHP. I would have to double check which uh, who the who the mine owner was. Might not have been BHP, but the mine owner decided there was greater oper- operational efficiency to be gained by looking into fly and fly out. Um, you know, mm. uh, ch- changing their operational methodology to fly and fly out, which completely sucked any demand from the town away because then people for could housing, live yeah. for housing. Yeah. And so then the market crashed and it went from a median house price of 750000 down to a median house. Uh, so 750000 in, let me just double check my numbers, um, around about 2013, I think it was 750000 And then it completely crashed down to about 150000 in 2018. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. It's tremendous. So that's your, that's your post-pizza nap on the couch that is <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly that's the carb crash, carb crash. interestingly though it's bounced back a fair bit mm. so it started bouncing back in 2019 and 2020 do you know how much it's grown over the last um uh 12 months gabby love to 22.69 percent 12 months yep now the interesting thing here is you might be going oh my god it's time to jump into moran bar again yeah but what we can see here is extreme volatility, and this is kind of the point. Mm. 
All right. So it's up to 750 is down to 150. In fact, if you look at the median house price um, growth over the last three years, it's about 60% over the last three years. So it's 20% year on year. So you, oh my God, it's, it's great. But is that just coming back to equilibrium? You know, what is going on there? There's a lot of other kind of things. I think you're going to find you'll probably have a lot more volatility in these areas, which is really what we want to be uh, avoiding for most investors. You know, most investors, the, the idea of trying to time in and time out, trade in, trade in and trade out like the share market is, um, is pretty high risk. Uh, some people can do it very well and a lot of, a lot of money can be made um, by focusing on these strategies. But just like this is one of those strategies that you need to be really, really, really focused on it. It's not a set and forget. Mm. This is something that anyone who's traded shares ever is like checking their phone. Like I'll wake up in the morning and be like, oh, what's the share price? Lunchtime, what's the share price? Dinner, what's the share price? It's very active, you know, and you've got to be into it, right? It's almost like a sport. Yeah. And I would say the same thing applies for Boomtown Syndrome. Yeah, because I think just thinking about that, I think part of the risk with that is if you're, if that is your strategy, right? If mm. you're like, you know what? I'm not one of those super risk averse investors and I'm happy to like, I love property. I love researching locations. I love staying, having my finger on the pulse. I'm going to do that kind of thing and just kind of spot based on these kind of boomtown signals, right? Yeah. But unless you're doing that, as you said, in the same way that you would trade shares where you're like laser focused on it, like you might catch the wave up, right? And you've done what you set out to do. But then if you're not paying attention to when it turns, it can be worse than when you started. Yeah. And that's kind of where people think they might catch the boom up and it sounds like an amazing thing and I can do that. But then it's also paying attention and having the discipline to watch and pay attention to when it's about to turn that people don't really think about. Yeah. They're like, I can spot the up. Look, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till I can, and I see it and then it goes up and then you miss the point that it turns and then it's, you, you're, you're back earlier than where you were, you're worse off. Yeah. yeah, totally. And this has been one of the biggest, uh, biggest things that's, co- that's caused the most amount of heartache. You know, like the, mm-hmm. there's so many people have come to work with us uh, in our buyers agency who have, who have like, oh, I've got six houses. And I'm like, well, what are you coming? What do we need? What do you need help with? And they're like, well, they've all lost money. And it's like, oh my God, mm. crikey, because they've chased these gains. They've chased the hype and the, the, hype and the headlines and these fast growth uh, areas. Yeah, because I think we come off the back of a lot of developers as well, I guess, would follow these kind of, because they've got a bit, they're a bit more risk averse, right? No, opposite of risk averse, risk tolerant. Yeah. Um, where they can kind of spot, again, they're doing this all the time. Like their their business is to make mm. sure that they're developing the, in the right locations. Yeah. And then also that they can sell that hype back to people being like, well, there's this massive infrastructure thing coming jump on board, ride the wave up with us, mm. which again might be great. You might get, yeah. you might buy and you build under market according to them and then you ride it up and you get some good gains over the next few years. But then it's like after that, it just dies because as you said, jobs may, jobs may leave. What's a psychographic profile that's keeping people there? We don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it takes a couple of years for that to really, for people to really see that, that probably wasn't a great idea and then it, you're already five or so years further into your journey and you've 
as you said, you've lost money on that property. Well, yeah, the, big, the biggest, I think the biggest potential um, tripwire for people in this kind of strategy is not identifying where to buy, but it's identifying when to sell. You know, mm. identifying where to buy is actually not that hard for, these kind of, for this kind of strategy. It's, it's pretty easy. Mm. You know, there's a lot of ways to look at infrastructure projects and, you know, keep your finger on the pulse in terms mm. of, you know, finding new mining projects. I mean, you can, there's heaps of stuff you can do. Like set Google alerts. You can do all this kind of stuff to get informed and to see projects when they're on the horizon. And then all you need to do is buy in those towns just before the new projects start, before they turn the soil and, you know, ride the wave up. That's not actually the problem and it's pretty easy. And actually, they're actually a lot of the time these kind of regional centers because they are typically a lot smaller and te- the town size is typically a lot smaller. Um, not always, and there's no hard and fast rule here because you can, uh, you know, we can talk about Perth maybe as an example of a capital which does experience um, similar kind of effects as as a boom town. Um, but the the issue the issue is uh, understanding when to sell. Now, here's the thing: not many people are very good at quitting while they're ahead or quitting while they're winning. Mm. Most people are, you know, if they've experienced say 20% growth you know, year on year for two or three years, they, they are full of hubris. They're full of, I've, I am a genius. Look at me. I bought this property for 150000 and now it's worth 250000 or $300,000 and it's only been three years. I am a genius. Everyone look at me. I, am, I have worked it out. I have solved all the problems. And that kind of, that kind of ego and hubris is very hard to overcome. Now, And I think that that's where most people get unstuck because they're like, oh, no, 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 it'll keep going. No, this has been good for now three years or something. The bulk of the experience, five years, could be seven years. uh, And the bulk of the experience has been positive. Therefore, it becomes very hard to identify the negative. The only way to effectively uh, do this kind of thing is to to, to understand what you need to study in order to see the leading indicators. Because if you're waiting for market indicators... Then you're, then you're looking at the wrong signals in this kind of scenario. If you're looking for stuff like, I don't know, vacancy rates to increase and blah, 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 you know, you're going to be too late. You're going to absolutely be way too late and you're going to be caught, you're going to be caught swimming naked. So what you actually need to do if you actually want to, if you actually want to do this well, here's what you actually need to do, which is slightly different from how you would potentially normally analyze a market. If you were to say invest in a small mining town, now, let's just say the pathway to get there, maybe you've decided, okay, my strategy is that I want to buy houses for $150,000 and I want to buy them in areas where I reasonably believe that price is going to go up to $300,000 and then I'm going to sell and that's going to be my sell point. Maybe it's $500,000, whatever the case may be. And if you set some clear parameters around a clearly defined strategy, you're going to be able to stick to that. You're going to be able to sell it at $300,000 even when the market is still going up. And that's the bit that I think a lot of people stuff up. But let's just say that was your strategy. You went, okay, well, I can buy houses really cheap where the yields are really, really good. And all I need to do is work out how to get in and get out at the right time. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. If that becomes the guiding light of your strategy, just in the same way that some people, um, I've spoken about him before, but there's a, there's a great guy who listens to this podcast I've spoken to him before. His whole strategy is to buy corner lots within, I can't remember, it's like 15 kilometers from his house um, that, he, that, are in, you know, that he can engineer. That it doesn't matter if they're in flood zones or whatever. He buys corner lots and develops them and, he's, and he gets really good internal rates of return. And he's got a very specific strategy and that's all he does. And that's cool. So if your strategy is going to be, I am going to 
I'm going to buy, I'm going to trade, I'm going to buy in boom towns, I'm going to sell out at the right time. Then you need to be really analyzing things like um, shareholder reports. Uh, you know, what are company development plans? What are policy changes happening? In, like, so let's say, let's say you go and buy in a town because BHP have announced a new mine. They're going to open a new mine there. Well, what is the date of what date is construction going to start? And you're going to need to stay on top of the the dialogue intern, internally in the company. Is the project delayed? Why? What are the internal headwinds they face as a company? Is this going to be pushed back by two years? Has there been some kind of PR incident which may delay the benefit of this project? And then when it starts to happen, analyzing what are the internal policy decisions and the macroeconomic factors. Why would a company switch from moving everyone out to a town or having everyone move out to a town versus doing fly and fly out? That's not the kind of decision that gets made instantaneously. So your analysis is going to be on, say, company metrics or uh, internal government policy very specifically so that you can see the leading indicators of when to get in and when to get out. Mm, I just think that it's actually a really good point, I think, because yeah. it's interesting because it is relatively easy to do the research on when to get in and you can find like you get all the you get the PR and you get you can find it in the news and it's not that difficult if that's your strategy, but it's like those companies don't necessarily do a press release when they're like leaving the town, you know? Like they don't do a press release like, right, we've finished completion and now we're going to reduce jobs <laughs> to two people and everyone else leaves. And like, so if you bought here to invest, you should sell now and, and leave. Like that, that doesn't happen. It, it, no, it does, Gabby. This is the point. No, this is the does point. It? Yeah, it does. It does. Company, companies don't just wake up one day and go, hey, we're shutting the gold mine today. It doesn't happen. Like that does not happen. Mm. You know, they will know in advance. They've got workforces to manage. They've got infrastructure. They've got shareholders. They've got boards of directors. No, they know. They, they know. Nothing happens quickly in a company that big, mm. right? So they surely, surely that's just harder to find, though, than the big flashy "we're coming to town" type of information. It well, it depends because I can tell you, I've never found a gold nugget in my life, right? <laughs> I have never found a gold nugget. I have never walked along and just found a gold nugget. You know, like an actual nugget made out of gold, like a rock of precious metal. Mm. Never. <laughs> Never. Does that mean they're hard to find? Well, I don't know, but maybe ask someone who's got, a, got the prospecting equipment, mm, knows where yeah. to go, knows how to find the right stuff. They've got all the right gear. Man, they just wander around. They just wander around with a stick that beeps and says, hey, gold here. Boop. Right? So for them, they're like, it's not that hard. You're just going to walk around. You're just going to know where to walk around. Right? And it's the same kind of thing. If you, it, it's actually not that hard to find this information if you invest to develop the skills to understand things like shareholder reports, profit and loss statements of company, uh, listed company reporting, um, read the meeting notes, you know, read, read the minutes of the AGMs mm. and all of that kind of stuff. So you, your analysis is just going to be very different. Yeah, but again, I think we're talking about it is inherently a more volatile strategy, right? So it's a, a, a akin to trading shares where if you're going to do it, you, you need to do it properly or else you're probably going to get burnt. Yeah. Again, one of the more volatile, less less recommended strategies that we would recommend that people go and <laughs> follow, considering considering the other nine factors that we're talking about in this series. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do it, you do that and then you do it really well. 
Totally. If that's going to be your, if that's going to be your key strategy, you've got to do it very, very, very well. Yeah. You know, now, now this is not to say though, this is not to say that these kind of projects and these kind of activities are a bad thing. That is not true. That is just not true. When you apply a boomtown kind of scenario, which remember is not just mining, it's infrastructure projects and stuff like that. When you apply boomtown scenarios, uh, you know, sequences of action into areas which actually have a slightly more diversified economy, what you can actually find is a very sharp, steep increase in growth and prices and then that can actually stabilize. And there is where you can find some really good investment opportunities. Now, some interesting examples of this would be something like Townsville. Now, Townsville, a lot of people think is, is potentially a boom town. It's got all the signs of a boom town. It's very mine independent and all of that kind of stuff. But over the last few years, but, so if, if it hadn't been for the floods uh, and stuff like that, Townsville would probably be in a very different position. Townsville is actually a, a, an economy which has a lot of diversity. You know, it actually has, in my opinion, enough requisite diversity to make it stable whilst also getting some of the benefits of steep price growth, largely because it's coming off a low base because mm. it's, it's experienced a bit of the sugar crash, right? Now, another scenario might be um, Sunshine Coast. You know, that's had, that has had and is having, you know, new, a new airport added, um, new, you know, development schemes, new infrastructure projects going in there, which has driven the prices up, taking it from a sleepy seaside town into basically a, you know, a metropolis, you know, and these are the kind, these kind of scenarios are, are not what you, that, that's not what you would consider a mining town and a boom town, but nonetheless, it has, if you look at it on a macro sense, basically popped up out of nowhere. Price growth has been huge. Um, you know, the, one of the main reasons we're not buying there is because the yields are too low based on the property prices. Yeah. Um, you know, so Ballarat is another case in point where, you know, you know, infrastructure projects and government spending sparked, you know, steep price growth, double-digit property price growth and stuff like that. So this isn't limited to... So when we, and when we say regional as well, regional is often a misnomer in that people think it's tiny country towns. Now... What we did speak about largely in this episode so far has been like the effect of these kind of things on tiny towns like Chinchilla and things like that, where you've got a very small population base and a very large um, economic impact, which, you know, has a huge effect. But it, regional doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to mean small, you know. Mm -hmm. So these kind, of, these kind of effects can be felt in, in, you know, major places as well like Geelong and Wollongong and Newcastle and places like this as well. So. They're all places that have had property price booms based on significant economic events. Well, I, let's talk about Perth. Real, That's right, real let's talk about Perth. Perth. Let's talk about Perth because Perth is a capital city. So we've sort of spoken about regionals, but mm. Perth, in and of itself, so Perth is the most isolated capital city in the whole world. Is it? Yeah, the whole world. Mm. Which is quite interesting because when you think of some a place like, I, I, whenever I think about that statement, that truism, that fact. Uh, I always think of Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia, and I'm like, Mongolia, there's nothing in Mongolia, surely, Ulaanbaatar. What about like Vladivostok or something? What about like some, one of these? No, Perth, Perth is the most remote capital city in the whole world. So to a degree, it has some of the, um, some of the same characteristics of you know, a major regional center, albeit much bigger. Now, the interesting thing about Perth is um, that obviously for the last sort of eight years, seven or eight years, it's been struggling uh, in its property market. The interesting thing before that 
Sydney was struggling the property market. So if we sort of go back to 2012, Perth was going great. Sydney, Sydney had had basically no growth, um, which is a really interesting thing to remember at this current juncture, um, particularly as we're starting to see upswing signs and, and um, tailwinds in the Perth market. Now, Perth is largely influenced by resources. Mm-hmm. However, it is not single point sensitive on a specific um, specific resource industry. So it's not like just coal. It's like coal, gold, um, lithium, heaps of different stuff, which inherently gives it a little more stability, which is probably one of the key factors why it's managed to have, you know, grow to a much bigger city because there is more inherently more diversity in its economy. The interesting thing now, though, is there's even more diversity coming in with um, different health and infrastructure projects and government spending and stuff, which is creating a lot more stability. So what we can see in Perth is a really classic sign of a market which did boom and then because it went so far above what would be considered a reasonable price, it actually went into the full boomtown territory and, you know, yields, you know, rents and property prices went through the roof and therefore it had a long way to come back. And it's kind of finding that equilibrium now, I think. So, yeah. Cool. It's interesting. All right, Gabby, what was your biggest takeaway out of this episode? What do you think? I just love thinking about this in terms of um, aligning it with share trading, right? And and thinking about it and you can ride that up, mm-hmm. but you also got to be just as skilled as timing your way out. Yeah. Which I think, yeah, I just think people don't really, they try and do this strategy and they don't think about how do you get out at the top. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. What about you? Um. I didn't really remember what I say. I just, I just go, I just go off. I just go off. I just go off tangential. Um, but I actually think, I th- actually think probably the, um, probably the key thing that we touched on, which I hadn't planned, but was talking about how to actually succeed at this strategy, which is, you know, if you are going to chase, um, like say mining boom towns and stuff, is to really, you know, pick your companies that you're going to follow and why is it going to be Fortescue Metals? Why understand what their policies are and really study them deeply so that you can see what the movements are because you're going to be piggybacking off their off their economic movements. I yeah. think that's a really interesting way to think about it as well. So, anyway, um, no, I think we've covered this really well. Now, if you're interested in this and you actually want to know what all of the ten drivers are and how they interrelate together, you can actually head to theinvestorlab.com.au. We have it in our free resources section. You can check it out there and you can download it and you can have a read and you can start to learn all this sort of stuff and cut the line you can get ahead of us and you're going to know what we're going to be talking about next oh how how wonderful you can live in the future <laughs> so if you want to check that out just head to the investorlab.com.au and i'd love to know what you've thought about this episode and whether it's been beneficial and whether it's changed your mind or somehow uh, adjusted the way you're thinking or think about um you know boomtown type um, type type environments and whether you would actually invest in those areas and how you might manage that risk as well. So I think there's a big conversation we had there about risk management stuff, but um, I think it's been good. I mean, I'm not 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 totally opposed to the idea. I think you just need to. I think you just need to, you to be careful with. You just got to be really careful. Yeah. You know, typically we're not looking for this kind of stuff for our clients because our clients, by nature, are coming to us because they probably don't have enough time to do enough research and all of that kind of stuff. And what we're trying to do is create. Well, not what we're trying to do. What we do do is create stable, profitable portfolios and we tend to look for the safest and lowest risk way to do that. So for us in our risk profile, risk profile as a business, it kind of doesn't tie in with that, um, which is why, you know, when we look at stuff like parks, for example, with the inland rail, which is where the first clot of soil has been turned for the inland rail, there's a lot of economic movement happening there. But to me, it's sort of the economy doesn't seem diverse enough. So I think that... 
I think there's lessons in there for, for everyone. So Awesome. Awesome, guys. All right. Well, as ever, we love you. Thank you for, t- for <laughs> participating. Thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, it's been a joy to spend some time with you. And as ever, we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye.